0: Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe, and internationally.
1: Hello, uh, my name is Ying Staten. Uh, I'm Global Council's Head of Asia, based here in Singapore. I'm here today with my colleague, Brigitte Kanadi, who's a Senior Associate in the Singapore office. And today we're doing our first podcast looking at recent developments in China. Specifically, we're going to focus on the two sessions which took place earlier this month. Now, This podcast is one of a number of pieces of recent analysis about China by the Global Council team. I'd also encourage you to check out the Global Council Insight Note on our website, um, published recently by our colleagues Gregor Irwin and Daniel Caparelli, which focuses more closely on the implications of the two sessions for foreign investors and China's trading relationships. So to start with, what are these meetings and, and why do they matter? Two sessions refer to the concurrent meetings of the National People's Congress, or MPC, and the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, or CPPCC, which take place every year in March. The MPC is China's 3,000-member parliament, and the CPPCC is a broader grouping which also includes industry and civil society. So
0: Ying, I've seen a lot of news reports labelling the NPC as a rubber stamp parliament. Do you think this is an accurate statement and does the NPC have any influence at all?
1: I think that's a good question. Um, In in some ways, yes, they are a rubber stamp parliament, um, insofar as they haven't voted down a single law since they first started meeting in 1954. But that doesn't mean that there's no debate or disagreement that takes place during these meetings. In fact, it's the one chance a year when party cadres from around the country get to come together in Beijing, interact face to face with senior party leaders and debate government policy. In that sense, it's a bit like the UK party conferences um, with different factions within the party vying for influence over each other. And Beijing's actually also taken small steps in recent years to make these meetings more open and inclusive um, by building in televised debates with senior party leaders and press, conferences for, uh, and press conferences with foreign journalists.
0: And what is the set piece moment or the main highlight of the NPC?
1: So the main highlight um, is the annual government work report, which is usually delivered at the beginning of the NPC by the Premier. Um, it's a bit like the State of the Nation address in the US, or a combination between the Queen's speech and the budget in the UK, in that it sets out the government's focus for the coming 12 months. Now, one of the first things that people want to know from the government work report is the growth rate target. So, Brigitte, tell us about this year's target and what it says about prospects for the Chinese economy.
0: So, in the beginning of the NPC this year, Premier Li Keqiang announced a lower GDP growth rate of 6 to 6.5% amid worsening macroeconomic conditions globally. So the trade war with the US is really just one of the factors that contributed to this lower growth rate. Last year, China's own growth um, rate was at 6.6%, which is its lowest growth rate in almost 30 years. So this highlights the government's balancing act between supporting economic growth, while at the same time also avoiding the kind of massive stimulus package that the government has used in the past
1: that could also dangerously increase debt levels. Now, the the lowering of the growth rate actually shouldn't come as a surprise. Um, The Communist Party has been gradually lowering the growth target uh, for several years now, um, really ever since the global financial crisis. And this is in recognition of the fact that China has entered a new phase of its economic development, um, and it's no longer realistic to expect it to deliver the double-digit growth that it sustained for much of the 2000s. Back in 2014, Xi Jinping described this as China's new normal, A new normal doesn't just refer to a lower nominal rate of growth, but a shift in focus from the quantity to the quality of economic growth. And the subtext here is that though China has delivered economic growth, that growth hasn't necessarily been evenly distributed um, amongst China's uh, people and has not delivered a better quality of life.
0: And what does that better quality of life entail?
1: So I think the first thing that it means um, is the right to work. And that's the core foundation of the social contract between the Chinese Communist Party and the people. In fact, this year's government work report set out an employment first strategy as the guiding uh, macroeconomic policy. Official unemployment figures in China are pretty low at around 3.8%, but anecdotal evidence suggests that there's been a surge of unemployment in the last year. So, for example, searches for the term "seeking job" on Baidu, which is the Chinese Google, was up on was up ten times compared to the previous year. And the work report um, sets out a raft of measures to support job seekers, as well as a pledge to create 11 million new urban jobs. And the Chinese government is particularly concerned about joblessness in the cities, and that's because of the link between unemployment and potential social and political unrest. And this risk is exacerbated by the huge group of migrant workers in China's cities, many of whom are living just above the poverty line. Now, better life doesn't just mean jobs. It means everything from better social provisions in health and education, to a cleaner and more livable environment. So, Brigitte, can you tell us about some of the other measures highlighted during the two sessions, which were designed to improve people's quality of life?
0: Sure, so this year's NPC session continues to emphasize the importance of social and human development. And this is all in line with President Xi Jinping's prior pledge to focus on the quality of economic growth and improve living standards. Officials repeatedly emphasized during the sessions that the public's interests will not be sacrificed, even though the government faces tough economic challenges ahead. So this is an especially important strategy by the Chinese government to create a sense of shared public benefit among the population, mostly to ensure public support during an economically challenging time. In healthcare policy, the government raised the state reimbursement rate for critical illness insurance and also increased subsidies for basic medical insurance. It also allocated more budget to making a greater range of drugs available at lower prices. Another interesting point within healthcare is how the elderly population is becoming a focus for the Chinese government. During the NPC session this year, the government pledged to significantly increase investments in elderly care facilities. So The government seems to be keenly aware of the the country's demographic shift to an aging population. In fact, a quarter of the Chinese population is expected to be age 60 or older by 2030. Um, Within education, that's also been a priority this year. The government work report committed to keeping fiscal expenditure on education at above 4% of GDP. Again, the focus here is to improve the quality of education rather than just increasing the number of schools available. So, some of the specific measures include improving the infrastructure in rural schools, eliminating, overs- eliminating
1: oversized classes in urban schools, training teachers, and so on. So, health and education were definitely major areas of focus um, for this year's two sessions. And, but one of the other legacies of China's rapid industrialization over the past several decades is the huge detrimental impact that this has had on China's environment. Air pollution in particular has been a very high profile topic in the past five years. So what did the two sessions have to say about environmental policy?
0: Well, China is definitely continuing its efforts to combat pollution. And before this year's NPC session, there was actually some concern that China will be reducing its efforts to curb pollution as businesses have to deal with the effects of the economic slowdown. However, top officials underline in this year's NPC that the government will maintain pressure on businesses that pollute the environment. For 2019, the CCP will be considerably increasing their funding for the prevention of water and soil pollution. The 2019 budget shows spending on water and soil pollution increasing by around 40%. Now, This marks an important shift in the government's anti-pollution agenda, which, as you said, has been primarily focused on air pollution in recent years. This is not to say that air pollution will be less of a priority, but it indicates a more comprehensive approach by the Chinese government in tackling pollution overall.
1: Okay, um, let's change gears uh, for a moment. One of the aspects of the two sessions um, that was most cleanly watched by China's trading partners and, and foreign companies operating in China was the new foreign investment law. Now, China has faced criticism for years for uh, alleged unfair practices towards foreign companies operating in China, including tolerance of forced technology transfers and and giving preferential treatment to its own SOEs. What was this new foreign investment law that was announced and and crucially, what difference do you think it will make?
0: Well, the NPC passed at the end of their session of foreign investment law that seeks to level the playing field for foreign companies. And the law stipulates that foreign companies will receive the same treatment as local firms and government procurement, and also covers issues that have been repeatedly raised by Western governments, including forced technology transfers and the protection of intellectual property rights. So the response from the foreign business community in China has been quite lukewarm. Um, There's been a lot of criticism about the vagueness of the language of the law and how it will be enforced. There's also been a lot of criticism against um, the perception that the law has been fast-tracked to placate American trade negotiators as the US and China move closer to a trade deal. And interestingly, most laws in China take years to pass, but this one, the first reading actually took place just three months ago in December of last year. So I think one of the main concerns is that the law is quite vague, and this leaves many details to be addressed in forthcoming implementing regulations. This is a common problem in China. Premier Li did note at the end of the NPC that a series of measures would be rolled out later to make the law enforceable. However, this also means that the foreign business community will likely remain quite skeptical until it is clear how exactly the law will be implemented. And also, as my colleagues Gregor Irwin and Daniel Caporelli mentioned in their Global Council Insight on the NPC, there's also that added question about how enforcement will work and whether the enforcement mechanism can be trusted. There's also just that concern of whether the Chinese legal system can be trusted to be objective in settling disputes when it involves foreign companies. So again, I think it will take some time, probably a few months, to determine how effective this law will be.
1: One of the other areas that's uh, watched quite closely by um, foreign trading partners um, and companies is the Belt and Road Initiative. And the the Belt and Road Initiative, or the BRI, is in many ways President Xi's flagship international policy program. And the idea is to create a a global sphere of influence for China along key trading routes at the same time as exporting China's excess industrial capacity. The BRI has arguably had a, a bad year in the past 12 months. There's been growing criticism that participation in BRI amounts to a debt trap for developing countries and a backlash in a number of countries, especially in Southeast Asia, um, following elections. Um, Examples are uh, Myanmar, Pakistan, and, and Malaysia. So what was interesting about this year's two sessions is the open criticism that BRI was subjected to during some of the debates some within the Communist Party ranks clearly felt openly empowered to question the direction the strategy was heading in. One party cadre actually challenged the Premier's characterization of BRI as having made important progress and suggested amending this to moderate progress. Now, this criticism was very moderate by Western standards, but still quite remarkable by Chinese ones. Now, In response, the government has acknowledged some shortcomings in the implementation of BRI and has pledged in future to place more emphasis on the importance of investing, not just in the hardware, roads, bridges, and ports, but also the software required for trade. Um, Things like capacity building, furthering trade agreements, and and economic cooperation zones. Chinese companies uh, working overseas often come under criticism for having poor standards when it comes to ESG, or environmental, social, and governance issues, and also in respecting local customs and, and using a lot of their own labor imported from China. And the government has pledged to, to try to redress some of these issues and to provide training for, for Chinese companies, um, specifically on ESG and, and local laws and customs, and also to create a dedicated platform for this service. And this provides a good entry point to our next theme, which is military reform. It's the view of many in China that soft power is meaningless unless it's backed up by hard power. On this, Brigitte is going to talk us through what's been happening with the People's Liberation Army, or the PLA. Well, I think the main takeaway
0: is that modernizing the PLA is still a top priority for Beijing, even in an environment of the slowing economy and the trade war with the US. According to the budget report released at the NPC, the defense budget will be increasing by 7.5% this year compared to last year. And to give some background and context, a major restructuring has actually been underway for the PLA since 2016, led by President Xi Jinping. The ultimate goal is obviously to transform the PLA into a more modern and more global military force. Defense policy papers over the past decade have emphasized this need to adapt to the conditions of modern modern warfare. And three years ago, Xi Jinping actually announced the creation of two forces within the PLA, the Rocket Force and also the Strategic support force which is responsible for cyber space and electronic warfare
1: so what do you think this means for for china's approach to the rest of the region and and how should other countries um, in the south china sea um, and uh, and beyond uh, approach china's new strategy
0: well i think this overhaul of the pla
1: has already raised some concerns
0: for china's neighbors in the region Um, some countries are i think. Uh, concerned that this restructuring may foreshadow a more aggressive Chinese military approach, especially when it comes to territorial disputes such as the South China Sea. And I think some of them may be alarmed by the fact that China in recent months has increased its military presence in the disputed waters by conducting training exercises. So in response, other countries such as Japan and Vietnam have also started to boost their capabilities in, in these kind of modern warfare areas, cyber warfare and space. Um, another issue that may become a flashpoint in the future is actually Taiwan. In his first major speech this year, Xi Jinping stated that Taiwan's reunification with the mainland is inevitable and that China does not rule out a military option to achieve that ultimate goal of reunification. At the same time, though, he did emphasize that reunification would ideally be done through peaceful means and has long been promoting um, increasing economic ties between Taiwan and China. So I think there's a bit of a tension in how China is projecting itself when it comes to Taiwan. The Chinese government has always insisted on peaceful means to achieve its goals, but at the same time it won't hesitate to bring up its military might when it comes
1: down to it. So in sum, um, some of the issues that we found interesting in the two sessions this year are as follows. Um, One is a lower growth target to reflect increased global macroeconomic risks and attempts to rebalance within the Chinese economy. The second is employment first as the guiding macroeconomic principle um, in part to protect social stability within China. Three, a continued emphasis on delivering better quality economic growth with a focus on health, education, and environmental policy. Four, a new foreign investment law which acknowledges concerns that have been expressed by trading partners and foreign investors, but which may ultimately mean little unless it's followed up by concrete implementation measures. Five, some surprising internal debate and reflection over Xi's flagship BRI programme. And finally, a continued determination to solidify and project China's hard power by upgrading its military and enhancing its capacity to assert Chinese power in the region and beyond. That's all we have for today. Thanks for listening in. You can find more of our recent analysis on China on our website.
0: For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global council.